Thanks. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be with you here this morning. Uh, for those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Joe. I'm one of the elders on staff, and uh, it's an incredible privilege to be able to bring to you God's Word. Um, I've just been reading this morning how uh, the Word of God is uh, living and active, how it's God-breathed, and so as we get to come around it, we get to hear the very voice of God into our lives. And so it's a great privilege to see all of you and to bring the words to you this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, we are in Mark. Uh, for those of you who are visiting us this morning, we have been journeying through the Gospel of Mark now for a number of weeks. And so we're in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23 is the section that we're going to be reading this morning. Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 23. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version. It goes as follows. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, these are the big wigs, uh, they saw that some of his disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews uh, do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And I notice tradition of the elders is not uh, the law of God, it's their own tradition, stuff that they have made up themselves. It wasn't according to God's word. And when they had come from the market, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as the washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy, uh, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a, a way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your own tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and whoever reviles his father or mother must surely die. Good verse for a baby dedication this morning. But you say, if a, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you ha would have gained a mean Corbin, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother. And what Corbin was, was a, a tradition that they had established where they could give uh, and commit uh, some of their finances, their uh, crops, certain sections of their property and say, I'm giving this to God. And while that was in Corbin, before they gave it to God, nobody else was allowed to have it. But if they wanted to take from it, they could. And so essentially what they were doing was they were going, that is for Corbin, never give it to the temple. They can gain from it. But as a result, they never had to look after their parents who were old and aging. And then he goes on in verse 13 and says, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things you do. And then he turns his attention, for, verse 14, to the crowd and says, And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that is going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered uh, the house and left the people, the disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also with un uh, without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. 
For, for from within, out of the heart of man, came evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile the person. When we read this section of Scripture, we must not assume that what Jesus is talking about is he's saying that we need to clean up our speech, that we need to stop swearing and uh, be better at our, not telling dirty jokes. Now, while that might certainly be the case for some of us, Jesus isn't asking that of us, but rather what Jesus is wanting to deal with is to deal with the bigger issue. And deal, Jesus is wanting to deal with the heart issue. And we see that the heart issue, the issue of the heart has been brought up already in the Gospel of Mark. We saw it last week in the text that we're in. Jesus and his disciples have been with each other for a very long time. And last week we saw Jesus perform this incredible miracle of feeding the 5,000. And this miracle was a display that this Jesus is the same God that fed the Israelites in the wilderness. As they found themselves in the wilderness, so here Jesus is also in a desolate place with his disciples and he feeds them. But the point of the story being that Jesus himself is the bread of life, as we see in John 6. And then Jesus will go walk on water. And at the end of it all, the disciples still did not understand who Jesus was. That in verse 52 of chapter 6, it says this about them. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And so Jesus here wants to deal with the issue of the heart. The Pharisees have come and they are challenging him about outward things. And Jesus goes, no, the issue of the heart is big here, so I'm going to deal with it. So he calls everyone around and he goes and gives an analysis of the human hearts. Not only their hearts, not only the Pharisees' hearts, not only the crowd's hearts, but of the human heart. And he includes ours in that, if you will. And the analysis that Jesus gives of the human heart is quite damning. Let's read verses 21 and 23 of chapter 7 again. It says this, From within, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. Jesus is saying here that out of the heart of man come these things. Now, when we read that, you might think, well, that's the heart of the murderer. That's the heart of the thief. And you would be right. It, it does include them. But what Jesus is actually saying is that your and my heart, each and every single one of us here, has the potential inside of it to become a thief or a murderer or an adulterer. Now, that might sound a little hectic to you, and you might disagree with me on that. But actually, when we look in Matthew, in the Gospel, in the Sermon of the Mount, what we see that Jesus says, well, if you've just lusted after a woman, in your mind, you have committed adultery. If you have gotten angry with someone, an unrighteous anger, you have committed murder in your heart. And I think if as I look around the room, I'm sure many of us could tell stories as kids how we stole something when we shouldn't have. We are all essentially adulterers, murderers, and thieves in our hearts. And maybe we just we have that potential in there. And that, that's a bit extreme, you might say. But Jesus isn't saying something new here in the Scripture. But rather the whole of Scripture's analysis of the human heart is along these lines as well. We see famously in, in Jeremiah 17 verse 9, Jeremiah says this about the heart. Well, God through Jeremiah says this, The heart is deceitful above all things beyond cure. We often say to people, follow your heart. Nah, don't do that. It's, don't trust it. It's deceitful. 
We see again in, in Romans 3, verses 10 and 12, it says, There is a no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. No one, no one, no one, all, everyone. It includes all of us. It's pretty emphatic. That this is where we are. This is how we stand before God. Again, David says this in that famous psalm in Psalm 51. He has just committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's killed off her husband Uriah. And uh, he gets found out by the prophet Nathan. And he's convicted by God. And he writes Psalm 51 in light of this. He says, behold, in verse, uh, verse 5, he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived in me. What David is not saying here is my mother was naughty and she committed adultery. But what he was saying was when I was conceived from that very moment, I was brought forth in iniquity. I had this potential to do these things in my heart. From the moment I was conceived, from the moment I was born, these things were in me. He goes on to emphasize this in another psalm, in Psalm 58, verse 3. He says, They go astray as soon as they are born, speaking lies. And every child of a toddler can say amen to that. David is essentially saying we are born sinners. Or Lady Gaga, maybe, if you want to refer to her, I was born that way. doesn't give you an excuse, but this is the sin that we are in. And so the thing that we have here is, in what Jesus is wanting to deal with, he's not wanting to deal with your outward actions as much as he wants to deal with the heart because God values the state of your heart. A famous example of this in Scripture is in Samuel where God has just rejected Samuel as king and he goes and tells, uh, sorry, he rejected Saul as king and he goes and tells Samuel, go off and find Jesse in Bethlehem and I'm going to anoint one of his sons king. And he goes and finds Jesse and Jesse lines up his seven sons. And as he stands there, Dave, uh, Samuel sees the oldest of the son who carries himself well, who, who, who commands the room, who's got the stature of a king. And this godly man who would have been discerning, who understood what God would be looking for, goes, that must be him. Him. That is the king. And, and God pops into his heart in verse 7, in, in, in 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. He says, Do not look at the parent, uh, look at on his appearance or on his height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. They, uh, Samuel, do not choose him. I have seen his heart. He might carry himself well. He might have leadership potential. He might be someone who commands a room as he walks into it. But I see through all of that, I see his heart and I have rejected him. And, and Samuel will go through all seven who are standing there and, and, and God will say, none of them. And he will left scratching his head going, is there another one? And they will go, well, there's my little lighty. He's left in the field. We didn't want to bring him here. Someone had to look after the sheep and he's not that important. Bring him in. And David comes in, the man after God's own heart and anoints him king. You see, the thing that God values, church, is the state of your heart. He cares about where your heart is at. But as we've heard this morning, the problem that we have is an analysis of Christ in Scripture is that our heart is far from Him. Our heart is in an, in a, an incredibly bad position. And we need to get our hearts right because the, uh, the principal thing in relationships is the heart. The principal thing in a relationship between a husband and a wife is a heart. 
between a, a parent and a child is the heart, and so it is also with God. That if we are to have a relationship with this God that we have, who has revealed himself to us, our hearts need to be right. Without having the right heart, we can have the best actions, we can look good on the outside, but if the heart is not right, we cannot have a relationship with this God. And you see, this is the problem with tradition and so-called, quote and unquote, good works, is that they make us look good on the outside, but they don't deal with the core issues. They don't get to change the hearts but rather than, than we may fool ourselves, we may fool others, but God sees straight through that, and that's, and that's a problem. And we see that particularly emphasized this morning in our text with the Pharisees. The Pharisees had tradition and extra rules in the bucket loads, and yet they still miss the Messiah. They still miss Jesus. And so we can do all these good works, but if we don't have Christ and we don't have our hearts changed, we cannot get to know this God like we do. And, and Jesus goes and he emphasizes even more in Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. He says this about the, the, the state of the hearts of the Pharisees. It's even more damning. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs with, with outward outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. He says you look good on the outside, but you have rotting corpses on the inside. And I emphasize that for us this morning because I realize there might be some of you who have rocked up at church today because you know, you had, you've know you just going through a really rough time and you did something really stupid last night and you thought, well, I better clean my life up and I'm going to go to church. And you're hoping that coming here is going to be what's going to change your hearts. Or maybe your relationship with your spouse is falling apart. You've been partying with the boys too many weekends and the wife has said, we are either finished or you're going to get here to church. And so you come hoping that being in this building somehow is going to make a difference. Or maybe your children are getting to that age where they're getting a bit rebellious and you're wanting to, to sort them out. And so you're going to come to church hoping that they will be moral and good citizens of this country. But friends, we can do as many traditional things as we like. We can do so-called religious acts, but if you don't deal with the heart, it's pointless. If you don't deal with the core issue, it's like putting a band-aid on a dead person. It looks great, but it's not helpful, is it? And so here we need to make sure that we deal with the heart because God isn't in the business of making good people. He wants to deal with your heart. But unfortunately for us, we find ourselves in a bit of a pickle. Our hearts are beyond cure, says Jeremiah. They're beyond cure, so what do we do? We need to change it. Well, fortunately, on the other end, God doesn't leave Je Jeremiah with a doom and gloom message in chapter 17, but in chapter 24, he gives us some hope. He goes on to say in chapter 24, verse 7, he says, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord. Who will do it? He will do it. He, I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole hearts. God will instill in you a new heart that you can pursue after him. Again, God goes and emphasizes this again through another prophet in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 26. He says, again, God speaking, and I will give you a new heart 
A new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you, uh, 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 and give you a heart of flesh. He says, I will take that old stone, stony heart that keeps you away from me and like Joel Scransky in 95, I'm going to drop kick it. And I'm going to place inside of you a new heart of flesh. And it's with this heart of flesh you will now have the potential of knowing me and enjoying me and pursuing after me. He deals with the hearts. But friends, we do not receive this heart through good works. Now, don't get fooled into that. Don't think just arriving here this morning that we receive this new heart. No, it doesn't happen that way. This heart comes at a cost, but it didn't come at your cost. It came at the cost of God's. It was through sending His Son, Jesus Christ, to come and live a life that we could not live because of our sinful hearts, that He would live a perfect life. And as a result, when He died upon the cross, when He was nailed on the cross, He was sufficient enough to bear our sin because He had no sin. And as the sin of our sin was laid upon him, the wrath of God that was deserved for you and me was poured out upon this Jesus. And he would die on that cross, a punishment that you and I deserved, and he would rise again three days later. We sung about that a lot this morning. But the, the significance of the resurrection of Christ is twofold. It, it proves, one, that his sacrifice was sufficient, and God approved it. And so we have a hope that we have a Savior in Jesus. And two, it proves that if we believe in Christ, we too will rise again one day and live. Amen? This is the hope that we have. It does not come through your works. It comes through the work of Jesus on the cross. What a glorious hope that we've got. And we gain it. How do we gain it if it's not through good works? We gain it through faith alone. It is by simply believing and understanding that this Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for your sins. And if you believe that and you repent from your, your sins, you will be saved. We see this wonderfully explained for us in Romans 10 verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe he is God, if you believe he is Savior, and if you believe in your heart that God raised uh, uh, um, like, believe in your heart that he rose again from the dead, you will be saved. If you believe that his sacrifice was sufficient for you and he is alive, you will be saved. For it is with the heart that one believes and is justified. It is with the heart that we have been given that we are able to believe into a way that we are made as if we had never sinned. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And if you do this, we see in Scripture what happens is, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Friends, God is not interested in making you a good person. He's interested in making you a new one. That's the work of what Jesus wants to do with you. And if you haven't done that this morning, I want to encourage you that there's no greater time than doing that than now. That this is the greatest gift that you will ever receive. Don't put it off. Don't take time to think about it. If God is stirring you, jump at the opportunity because this is the greatest thing that you will ever be able to do. And don't say, well, let me just go figure this out a little more. Let me go sort my life out. Let me go clean up my act more. No, no, God didn't die for semi-clean hearts. He died for the dirtiest of them. There's no need for you to go try clean up your acts. 
Oh, to go and clean up a, a heart is just to take that black heart and polish it. It doesn't get any less black, but just a little bit more shiny. You need to go to Jesus in the state that you are, and in that you will find salvation. You'll gain that new heart, and you can know him and enjoy him, and you will have life like you have never experienced before, and you will have it for all eternity. But for those of us who have made this decision, we are well aware that though we have been given new hearts, that we are, those hearts are still very weak and fickle, aren't they? We can give countless stories from just our lives alone and how instead of wandering toward God, we have wandered away from Him. We sing it in our songs. We've got a new song that we are singing. We didn't sing it this morning, but it's called Mercy is Mo- uh, His Mercy is More. And the, uh, what, a line that we sing, and we can sing it because we know it's true, is what patience would wait as we constantly roam. We constantly roam. Or that old hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing, it says about our hearts that we are prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God our love. Now friends, while you might have a new heart, your heart still needs to be intentional in drawing closer to Jesus. You still need to make sure that you run after this God. Because by itself, It is weak by itself. It will run to the lesser pleasures of this world if you aren't intentional for it. I was thinking about this uh, as I was going for a run uh, on Friday. And as I I was running, I I, I remember seeing my oldest son that morning race my youngest son. My oldest son is three and a half. My youngest son is one. The oldest wins all the time because he's quicker. But he also wins all the time because the one-year-old doesn't know he's in a race. Race Jesse to the other side of the room. Ha, I win. Race Jesse in the car seat. Yes, we win. He loves to win. This boy is incredibly competitive. And, but yet, I feel that sometimes we are a lot like Jesse. We are told in Scripture that we need to stand firm. Be on guard. Fight the good fight. We are told in Proverbs 4, verse 23, that we need to keep our hearts with all diligence, guard it for the wellspring of life, but yet we don't know what we're doing. We don't know we're in a race. We don't know we're in a fight. And so how do we keep our hearts close to God? Well, the first thing I want to say is that we need to take stock of where our heart is at. No boxer climbs into the ring with another boxer if he hasn't studied that boxer first. To do so would be silly. But to learn his combinations, to learn how he, how he fights is a necessary thing so that you might be able to beat him. And so we too who are in a fight, we too who have these hearts that are prone to wonder, we need to make sure that we take stock of where they are so that we know where we need to build. We know where they are fallible. We know where we tend to fall and where we need to work on. These hearts, while they are new, need effort. They need to be worked on. So how do we do that? Well, I think the first thing that we need to do is we need to ask the Holy Spirit to show us where we are falling short. Now remember, don't trust your heart. What this looks like is you not going, oh, am I good or am I bad? Because if you do that in your own analysis, what's going to happen is you're going to come out pretty good. Because why? We compare ourselves to the person next to us. Three rows forward to one to the left. and go, I'm not as bad as that guy. I'm better than that. 
And actually what we need to be doing is taking stock through the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit sees us clearly. We see this in Hebrews 4 verse 13. It says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to, his, uh, to the eyes of him whom we must give account. And again, in Psalm 139, it says, O oh God, you have searched me and known me. You discern my thoughts from afar and are acquainted with all my ways. God sees you exactly how you are. You want an analysis of where the walls are broken down in your heart and where they need to be built up again. Run to God because He will tell you exactly where things need to be improved. Don't do it yourself. And this might be quite a fearful thing because I don't think we like to be exposed like that before anyone. We're very good at putting up masks and putting up uh, this persona that we are good and we're okay with others, particularly here on a Sunday. And so when we have this idea of that we have to now expose ourselves before someone like this, it becomes a fearful and shameful thing. But I want to say at least two things toward this when it comes to God. One, he already knows it, friend. He knows you more than you do, and so that you don't have to be fearful in doing this task because he already sees the deep, ugly state of your heart as it is. And so there's nothing he, you are going to expose to him that he is going to be shocked by. But two, isn't it wonderful in light of the fact that he already sees the, the full state of your heart and yet he would still love you to send Christ to die for you? That he would see you like that and go, I love that person and I will still die. If anything, this is a moment where we get to cherish the cross even more because we see that God loves us to such an extent that he will even die for such an ugly heart. And so run to the Holy Spirit to do this and he will do it because his primary role is to sanctify us. His primary role is to make us more and more into the image of Jesus and he will know exactly where you need to improve and what to do next. I remember doing this, I alluded this to this a couple of weeks ago, but I remember doing this uh, for one of the first times in my life in October 2017. Alyssa and I, we headed off to Stutterheim to a place called the Shire. And it's a lovely, lovely little place. There's hardly anything to do. It's a great place to just go away and relax. And uh, we headed away. And in my arrogance, I remember coming, it was near the end of the year. I remember sitting down with the Lord and going, Lord, I meant, how have I improved this year? And if there's anything I need to work on, you can show me that as well. But how, how have I improved? And the Lord gave me an image as, as I was praying. It was, a, it was a picture of this wonderful house. It was big, double-story, pillars, a white house. It had cut lawn. It had beautiful trees that were nice and shady. It was just wonderful, pristine. And instantly he took me inside the house, and inside the house was broken tiles, peeling paints, roof boards that were hanging loose, rubble everywhere, mold on the walls. And he said to me, Joe, you look great on the outside, but inside you're pretty rubbish. You're falling apart. And, and the Holy Spirit showed me what, what he meant by that was that I was carrying inside of me unforgiveness, bitterness, anger that was deeply entrenched in my heart that was making me a worse man off than I was at the beginning of that year. And what my heart had done, because I knew it was there, but what my heart had done, what I had done, was I had gone, I'm right to feel this way. 
I'm justified. Yes, this anger and this, this unforgiveness is right to be there. My heart was deceitful. Instead of pointing out, Joe, this is something that is keeping you away from the Lord, taking and hindering your relationship with Him, it was something that I was holding on to, justifying my pride and my own actions. And friends, I tell you all of that because it was one of the greatest moments in my life that God was able to show me the ugliness of my current state in my heart because He wanted to draw me in. And as we do this and as we ask God to show us the state of our hearts, He does. He honors that and He does it because He's happy. But He, he comes along like a father and yes, He will discipline, but it's not so that He might chase us away and cast us off, but rather that He might draw us in more. And so I want you to go and take stock of your hearts. Where are they? Are they far from Him? Are they good? Are they weak? Where, where can you improve and, and, and to do so? And the way we do this is we ask about our actions and our attitudes. We see so in the text this morning. It shows us that our actions and our attitudes are good indicators of the state of our hearts. Now, there's some of those quite obvious and some that aren't. Like if you've murdered someone recently, that's probably a good indication that you're far from Him. But some that are incredibly difficult, like pride and covetous man, pride is one of the hardest ones to see. Oh, we can't see it. We need the Lord to come and break into our hearts. Covetousness, evil thoughts, sensuality, wickedness, slander, foolishness, these things we need God to show us. Go ask God to Holy Spirit to show you. Also, what do you value? Jesus says in Matthew 6, verse 21, where your treasure is, your heart will be also. What are you valuing? Are you valuing things of this world or are you valuing Christ? He goes and tells you, don't build up treasures here, build up treasures in heaven. What are you spending your time with and what you are valuing will show you where your heart is at. Jesus will later say on that, oh, have a healthy eye. What he means by that in the next verse is, no, keep your eyes straight on me. Focus on me. Don't let it wander. Oh, man, our eyes wander onto the things of this world. Have your eyes fixed on him. Where are your eyes focusing this morning? And in light of that, church, I want to ask you to do so, is that you repent. And repent isn't feeling bad. Repent is changing. Sometimes we can feel bad about something, but we don't change, right? You feel bad when you get caught out, but you don't, your actions don't change. That's not real repentance. Tears isn't real repentance. Repentance is demonstrated in a change of action. We see this with Judas. He betrays Jesus. He's sad. He goes and hangs himself, but that is not repentance. Repentance is Peter. He uh, denies Christ three times. He weeps as he realizes it. Ah, oh, but repentance comes in is that he was restored and he comes back to Christ. We need to be Peter's, not a Judas in the sense. And so run to him. Do, and this is, doesn't have to be a once-off thing. This can be something that you do daily. Ask the Lord, how, where is my heart? Is it near? Is it far? Where can it improve? It can be throughout the day we can do that. Do it. Take stock. Guard it. Fight for it. Make sure it draws closer to Jesus. And if we are to have hearts that are to draw closer to Christ, if we are to have hearts that are going after this God, we ought to pray. We ought to pray. Scripture tells us to pray a lot. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says these words. It says, pray without ceasing. 
Philippians 4 verse 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. As disciples of Jesus, Jesus assumes that we will be people of prayer. We see this in Matthew uh, 6 verse 5. It says, And when you pray, not if, when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites. If we are going to draw our hearts closer to Christ's church, we are to be a people who prays. And maybe you've been, you come in here this morning and you were hoping for something a little bit more profound than that. Something a little bit more upper, upper grade. Something that make, make you a bit more interesting. Because this is very prime, uh, primary school, elementary, Sunday school, isn't it? But as we sit there and think that, I want to ask you, how's your prayer life doing? Are you praying? Are you drawing closer to God in prayer? Because we, prayer is something that is assumed to be a matter for everybody, but it, it is something that very few people do. Prayer is the business of everybody, but it's an, an action that hardly is performed. Show me a Christian who neglects prayer, and I will show you a Christian whose heart is far from God's. Prayer is such an important thing. Without it, we become dry. Without it, we lack the intimacy that we have been speaking about this whole series, talking about being intimate with this wonderful Jesus. It comes through prayer and prayer alone. It is, it is through prayer, this action of prayer, that we are able to hold our hearts up to God and, and He is able to fill us with His presence, that He is able to shape those hearts and mold it into His image. It is through prayer that we have assurance of His steadfast love towards us, that we are built up with hope, knowing that this is the God who is there to help us and to save us. It is with prayer that we have the strength to be able to face the day and to do things that He calls us to. It is through prayer that we have a love for God that blows any other expectation or anything out of this world. It is through prayer that we get to do this. Without prayer, we lack it, and it is such a privilege to have. I've been reminded this week yet again that we are called to come before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords as often as we can. I, I, I just want you to go home and meditate. Think about that. We, we have this God who holds the universe, and His invitation, not even His invitation, as we see in, in Thessalonians, His commandment, His instruction is not just come to me once a day, which would be a privilege. No, no. Throughout the day, as often as you possibly can, come into me. Come enjoy me. Enjoy my presence. Enjoy who I am. Enjoy my throne room. Come and pray to me. I want to experience it. And it's not a, oh, you bothering me? It's not a, a, oh, why are you here? But it's a delight that we get to have a good relationship with God. We get to enjoy this King of Kings throughout the day. And yet somehow we find ourselves in a position that we are too busy to pray. J.C. Rowell says, says this prayer is an appointed way to obtain the relief of our spiritual necessities. It, it opens up the treasury and sets the fountain flowing. If we have not, it is because we ask not. 
Prayer is the way to procure the outpouring of the Spirit upon our hearts. Jesus has promised the Holy Ghost, the Comforter. He is ready to come down with all His precious gifts, renewing, sanctifying, purifying, strengthening, cheering, encouraging, enlightening, teaching, directing, guiding in all truth. But here it is. But He waits to be entreated. Oh, how much we forsake and how much we give up because we are too busy to come before God in prayer. Oh, friends, I want to encourage you to pray. What Christ has done for us in the cross is not to save us from an eternal hell, but what He has saved us into is a relationship with God, which is the most precious thing, which the saints of old long to have had, like we have. Do not neglect the opportunity to pray to Him as often as you can. I know you're busy, but set a time aside. Do that. But also, as the kids are getting ready in the morning, make sure you pray. As you're driving them off to school, make sure you pray. As you are in that business meeting, make sure you pray. As you're off on your jog, make sure you pray. As you're going about your day and doing the normal things of life, make sure you pray because it is a privilege that we get to come into this glorious God. We get to enjoy Him and delight in Him, to know Him. Oh, what neglect are we that we would go and do this, that we would forsake that because we are too not mindful of it or too busy to do it. We see Jesus in, in, in Mark. He goes on to a mountaintop to pray. In the Old Testament, we see Isaac. He prays in a field. Hezekiah turns his face to wall, and he prayed on his bed. Daniel prayed at a window. David prayed while in hiding. And Peter prayed on a rooftop. Whenever you can, pray. You have been given these hearts to do so. There's no greater thing that you'll be able to do than pray. Pray, pray, pray. I'm running out of time. I'm going to wrap up quickly with this last point. My last point is don't despise means of grace. And what I mean by that, and what we mean by means of grace is God in his sovereignty and in his wisdom has determined for whatever reason that there are certain things that we do that he promises to be there. And if our hearts are, and we are meant to be people that draw close to God, we need to take those opportunities where he is at and make sure that we are there. And, and, and he promises that when we gather, like we have this morning, in the name of Jesus, he promises that his presence will be here. And so he promises when we gather midweek that he will be there. He promises that when we get together for prayer meetings, that he will be there. And I want to just encourage you this morning, do not neglect those opportunities of being in the presence of God, but run to them as often as you can. Cast aside the things that you need to that are distracting you, getting in the way. Man, come home earlier from your holiday if need be on a Sunday so you can get to church in the evening. And I'm going to speak to my friends online. I'm going to be a little bold this morning. I didn't tell the elders I was going to do this, but I want to encourage you to come. Unless there's a legit reason to stay away, your laziness and comfortness at home is not the reason. I know it's nice online, but it's not the reason to stay. I've heard people say, I don't want to come because I have to wear a mask. Friends, Scripture tells us that here, this, where we, the God is gathered, where His people are gathered, He is there. That in His presence, there's a fullness of joy. David says, one day in your courts is a better than a thousand elsewhere. Man, if you want to put a tutu on me, I don't mind if I get to gain the presence of God. Amen? 
Let's not neglect the beauty of this presence and the beauty of God because of other reasons. I know I've been quite hard this morning. But I'm hard because I, am, I, want, to, I want to call you to enjoy Him. Enjoy Him, enjoy Him, enjoy Him. And you do that by drawing near to Him as often as you can. We're going to close up with communion. And I'm going to ask the worship team if they wouldn't mind coming up um, as well while we, while we do that. We get to come around this, 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 these elements this morning, and they, these elements remind us of a number of things. This element, these elements remind us of what we've been speaking about this morning. It reminds us that Jesus has shed his blood and he's broken his body so that we might know him, that we might be right with him. So as we partake of these elements, there's a couple of things that we do. Remember, we haven't done this in a while, so I'm going to just walk us through it. Remember, we look back. And what we mean by looking back is we think upon the cross. We are reminded of this wonderful sacrifice that's happened for us and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So do that this morning. But we also look up. And by look up, I mean we, we turn to him in light of what he has done for us on the cross and we thank him for this wonderful, wonderful gift. We look within. We take stock of our hearts. Go, Lord, where is this sin and what can I deal with? And we look forward, rejoicing, knowing that one day we will, while we partake of the small feast, there's a glorious feast that is to come, the feast of the Lamb, the feast of the bride that we get to enjoy. And we have a sure hope that we will one day not only enjoy God now, but enjoy Him for all eternity in the future as well. So I'm going to pray for us, and then in your own time as the band plays, um, you come and you grab and you spend some time doing that, then join in the worship song as it goes, and then I will close off in prayer at the end. Father, we are thankful for your word this morning. We are thankful that you speak to us so directly. You call us to yourself. What a wonderful privilege. May we not be feel ashamed or feel hard done by this morning, but may we understand and feel the gravitas of this privilege of enjoying you. So Lord, as we go around your communion table and as we partake of these elements, would you birth in us, stir in us a desire for more of you. May we be a people that understand where our hearts are at. May we be a people who pray to you often and take every opportunity to be in your presence. May we be characterized by the, by the fact that we are people that pursue after Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you come forward and, and grab some elements? Poured out in 
Take the elements when you are ready to do so. thank you so much Father for your, for your love toward us that you would look upon us in the ugly state of our hearts and yet love us so much that you would send your son Jesus to die for us and Lord Jesus we thank you so much that you would be willing to leave the glories of heaven to be born as a man as nobody so that you might live a life that we could not live bear the punishment that we could not pay so that we might receive a life that we could not gain and lord i pray as you have done this in our hearts that as we partake of this again and we are reminded of the cross that you would stir in us a love for you that you would draw our hearts closer to you that they would not be as prone to wonder today as they were before, and that they would be set on Christ, pursuing after you for the glory of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, everyone. Our, our service is done. We do have coffee outside, um, and uh, please, more than welcome to just enjoy some fellowship. I'm going to ask the band to carry on playing. If you just want to carry on spending some time with the Lord, you're more than welcome to do that as the song plays. Have a good day. You've been so, so good to me. You've been